invite you all to stand at this time as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, a message I call Rich Man, uh, Poor Man. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might be rich. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our text tonight is derived from a passage in this great book uh, written to the church at Corinth about their offerings, their financial offerings. In a sense, what he was preparing them for was what we would call a special offering because it was for benevolence. Uh, there was a famine that had struck in the land of Judea. Uh, the poor saints at Jerusalem needed help. And so Paul had appealed not only to the church at Corinth, but all of the churches, the Gentile churches uh, that he had had influence with uh, throughout his ministry. He was going around and picking up those offerings that they had collected, and he was going then to personally deliver them to Jerusalem. Uh, he intended after that to go on another mission journey. He didn't get to do that. Instead, you'll remember, he ended up being imprisoned in the temple uh, under threat of his life. He ultimately was transferred to Caesarea, where he remained in prison for five years, finally made an appeal to Rome and ended up going to appear before Nero. What happened after that is somewhat in dispute, but we have hopefully set the time schedule for you as Paul was seeking to receive this offering and then take it to Jerusalem to administer it there to the churches. It was a big deal. And as he then gives divinely inspired discussion of this subject, he sets before us and them the example of our Lord Jesus Christ for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. So that in this grace, as in all others, it is Jesus who is our ultimate example. I don't hope tonight to be able really to improve your understanding of this passage uh, it's rather simple, forthright. It's not hard to understand what is being said. Uh, and I also understand our limitations because though we can understand what this is, the magnitude of what is being said is simply incomprehensible to us. I can mathematically define what a trillion dollars is. But I really can't fathom how much that actually would be. I, I try to imagine, uh, and I really just, I can't. Uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, we ought to just uh, pull up the news today and find out how many trillion dollars the federal government's in debt. You know, we could just do that. Still can't fathom it. Can't fathom it. It's, it's a whole, whole bunch. But that is a very poor illustration of what is contained in this passage. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Now he sets the stage for us uh, with this great example that he appeals to in uh, verse 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything. I want to stop there just a moment. Remember, he's writing to the church at Corinth. 
that bickering bunch of backslidden Baptists that he had written to just a few months before uh, and and basically didn't have anything good to say about them. And now, look how far they've come in such a short time. Now he could say to them, as you abound in everything. Aren't you glad tonight that in God's work, failure is not final? Uh, Just because we have failed or even if we go through a season of failure, even if our life is a mess, our church is a mess, doesn't mean that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, can't lead us out of it. And he does. He did. He did for that great church. And he's got plenty of practice at it. Therefore, then, as you abound in everything, we rejoice in that. In faith. In utterance, that is in their preaching, in their knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us. See then that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. You see, uh, Paul wasn't ordering them to give this offering. That's not something we look to in a chapter and verse. In the New Testament that tells us you have to do this. And uh, everybody then doesn't know that it wasn't about that. It's not by commandment. It's just a way that we show our love for Jesus Christ. When we consider his example. That though he was rich yet for our sakes he became poor. He calls on us then to prove this love. Jesus, you see, drew a specific connection between the treasure and the heart. And Paul goes even further to speak of our love for Christ. And we demonstrate the sincerity of our love by how we give to support his work and to help his people. And within such a monumental concept then, he brings out this great passage that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, not just for what it teaches us about giving, although it does that, but just to kind of contemplate this incredible truth for a while. The passage divides itself into three simple parts. The first of it is the wealth of Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, though he was rich, Theologians and Bible students through the years have coined an expression known as pre-incarnate in reference to Jesus Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ refers to the time before he became flesh. Carne means flesh, so pre-incarnate speaks of his existence before he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And I'm not talking about while he was in his mother's uh, 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 belly. No, not, not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is a unique personality in that he is eternally God, God the Son, third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We know their second person. We know that Jesus Christ did is eternally God. The birth of every individual brings forth a a, a new personality, but that was not the case with Jesus Christ. It was the manifestation of a personality to be in. We we have trouble understanding that. But there was a, Jesus was active and alive uh, before that mystical moment when the glory of the infinite God was compacted to the span of a virgin's womb and the word became flesh. 
So as best as our attention can be given to something, this passage speaks to us of the glory that was his throughout all eternity, that glory that was without beginning and without ending. How do we measure then wealth? Well, first of all, we would measure wealth by our possessions, obviously, by what we own, and certainly we can understand the wealth of Jesus Christ in this capacity. <laughs> Uh, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, that's Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. Yeah. Revelation 4.11 tells us the same thing. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were Created for thy pleasure, they are and were created. Jesus then both created and controls all things. All things. If wealth were measured only in possessions, if that was the only thing we had, the only way to measure wealth, then the wealth of Jesus is unimaginable, incomprehensible. But you know, Jesus warned us about measuring wealth just by our possessions. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Have you ever considered the fact that that piece of financial advice came from the one who owns everything? A man's life consists not of the abundance of things which he possesses. Uh, there's more to being wealthy than just what we possess. There is also another way of rich, being rich that we talk about, a person who is rich in love. And without somebody you see to love and to love us back, then the richest of men is a pauper. Jesus did not come to the earth in order to be loved because the Father's uh, voice declared, This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. The Bible declares that God is love. He was wealthy in another way. Revolution. Revelation. 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 I've been having trouble all day. Revelation 4. Put it. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. You know, entitlement is something that we all struggle with to a certain degree in other people. If we ever feel entitled ourselves, we really don't admit it. But we do recognize it very quickly in others. That sense of entitlement that says, I deserve it. I'm worthy. I'm entitled. I deserve everything I have and more. I should get special treatment. fact is, just a tiny little bit of that is repulsive to us. We don't like that sense of entitlement that comes from a person who says, yeah, I deserve this. Let me tell you something tonight. Jesus is worthy. Jesus does deserve it. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Revelation 4. You see, if Jesus were to suddenly decide to confiscate the entire cumulative wealth of the entire world, in an instant, if he decided to take it all, he would be taking nothing but what belongs to him and what he truly deserves. Thou art worthy. The wealth of Christ is simply beyond our ability to comprehend. 
let's put it this way, Jesus could buy out all of the wealthiest men in the world. <laughs> he, could, he wouldn't have to confiscate their wealth. He could buy them out and then take it. I mean, it's all his. It is all his. And so we see the impoverishment of Christ, the, the wealth of Christ, and the impoverishment of Christ. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And because we look at this through the eyes of faith, uh, the magnitude of this passage must remain veiled to us to a certain degree. We can read how Paul would simply say the word became flesh and dwelt among himself, among us. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, Jesus, and became obedient unto death. He humbled himself. That expression means that he emptied himself. Not of his deity, but of the display of his deity. Uh, though he was rich, he says it here, yet for your sakes he became poor. I want us to use the faculty of our sanctified imagination a little bit because uh, the angels were the ones who were the spectators of all of this divine event as it played out. They were alone among the, all of God's creation that were witnesses to this entire scene. Imagine then that day when Jesus would empty himself of the display of his deity and take upon himself the form of a servant. And think of the amazement of those sinless seraphim. Uh, they were charged throughout all eternity to be the guardians of the holiness of God. Think of how they knew because God had said it that he was of purer eyes than to behold iniquity think of how they watched as Moses longed to see the face of God only to be hidden in the cleft of the rock and covered with God's hand as he passed by because Moses could not see his face think of those angels as they watched that precious place called the holy of holies behind that veil that was a foot thick or inside it was dark as midnight think of how they'd watched as the mountain of Sinai was belted fire and smoke and the voice of God and the trump of God sounded and forbid them to even come close to it if even an animal were to wander upon Mount Sinai it was to immediately be killed the holiness of God those angels had watched and they had seen the seraphim as they, as they deployed in full battle array in the vision of Ezekiel when Ezekiel was by the river Shibar, and the appearance of the glory of God and the throne came down and one was sitting on the throne but there was those sinless seraphim surrounding that whole place oh you see the angels had seen all of that they knew about the holies of God holiness of God and now to see Jesus born as an infant, as a little boy, to live his life surrounded by sin and even touched by sinners. <laughs> uh, I think it was Adrian Rogers who said, hey, when the angels saw that, they said, hey, I've got to see this. Let's go. <laughs> I've got, I've got to see this. 
They didn't stop till they had lit up the sky in Bethlehem with glory to God in the highest. And a new star had been hung in space. I mean, they just, man. They alone perhaps knew the significance of the infinite becoming an infant. Of the one upon whose shoulders the universe was born who would now be carried helpless in a woman's arms. The one who was the source of all the sustenance of all of the people of all the earth now nursing contentedly at his mother's breast. They knew, they knew the significance of this. The angels did. Yet his poverty had just begun. He was born into a family of peasants. He would be raised working in a carpenter shop. He would flee to Egypt for a time under the protection of the Gentiles who provided for him and his family while they were fleeing from Herod the Great by bringing to him those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We follow Jesus through his life as he looked whimsically at the fox scurrying to his den. The birds fluttering to their nest. His clothing was common. The most valuable thing he owned was a seamless robe. But though he lived in poverty, yet he walked through a world that was his. He could have spoken the word or even less and had it all. One of my favorite stories was when they reminded Jesus that it was time to pay the temple tax. Lord, we got to pay our temple tax. We're apparently a little short in the church treasury at the time. So Jesus said, well, hey, go, go down there and go fishing. And out came a fish with a gold coin in his mouth. There it was. Two, you know, go and pay yours and mine. The, the, pay, the payment, you see, was a half shekel. So that if you had a gold coin, that's one shekel. That would pay for him and Jesus both. Go, go take care of us. You're worried about that. <laughs> oh, he could have brought out the riches of the whole earth. He could have, but he did not. He did not live in wealth. He did not enjoy all of the trappings of wealth. He had no place to lay his head. He did not wear fine clothes. Why? Well, we can't explain that. But ultimately, the Bible says it was done for thy sake. For thy sake. And certainly we see that in reference to our salvation. But let's see it in a very practical way. Because far more people, far, far, far more people would live and die in poverty than would ever be blessed with riches and wealth. For your sake, for your sake, he became poor. But of course, his greatest gift was his precious blood, his life that was given for us, poured out on a cruel cross. His life was his in a way that nobody else possesses their life. He said that in John chapter 10. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, we might compare that to a soldier dying for his country. Uh, the soldier had the power to imperil his life, but his life, if he died for his country, was taken from him. No man no man took Jesus' life. 
The Romans nailed him to a cross, but they did not take his life. He gave it. For our sakes, though he was rich, yet he became poor. But of course, the third part is our enrichment, the enrichment then of the believer. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. If you're a believer in Christ tonight, you've been made rich. You may not have one foot of ground on this planet that you can call your own. You might be able to say like the apostles said to the crippled man at the gate of the temple in Acts chapter 3, silver and gold have I none, none, none. But that doesn't mean you have nothing. Such as I have, they said, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. You see, they had what money couldn't buy, and so do we. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Romans eight seventeen tells us that if we're children, children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. It is well and often been said that a Christian's wealth in this life is seldom cumulative. Not always. Not always. But it is seldom. The Bible says not many rich. He didn't say not many. Not any, but not many. Paul would say in Philippians 4.18, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Need, you say, is supplied today. It's supplied tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of like the manna in the wilderness. We get enough for today, and we're still trusting God for tomorrow. Uh, and always enough, but never enough to remove from us the requirement of faith. Sometimes enough to share with others. But uh, you see, our wealth is not only measured in the spiritual realm where we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Our wealth is not only measured in the provisions of God where our God has supplied all of our need according to his riches and glory. But our wealth is also provided to us or described by God's promises to us. You see, I have it on very good authority tonight that when a certain old man finally dies this one I will dwell in a place so full of wealth that its streets will be paved with gold and the walls are built with precious stones a crown is laid up for me a white robe has my name on it we'll never again need work clothes and weekday clothes because we will enjoy the eternal worship service of God in the hallelujah morning of the glory of the Lamb we measure our wealth by our promises. There's a couple of great implications that are made then in Scripture of this profound truth. First of all, it relates to our security. He has made us rich. Simon Peter said this. I'm just going to read it, and you can see it. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you now notice this who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time you see God has made us rich he has done all of this to save us he has provided all of this and so it is simply impossible for us to even consider that he would cause us to suffer then and eternally perish in the flames of hell because somehow we've lost our salvation that is not what the Bible teaches and this Bible affirms it right here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 that we are kept by the power of God. If we were kept by the power of, of, of Richard, we might all uh, have a lot to worry about. If you were kept by the power of yourself, you might well have something to worry about. But listen, we're saved by the power of God and we are kept saved by the same power of God. This relates then to our security because he has made us rich. He has made us rich, and we have that inheritance, incorruptible, that fades not away, reserved in heaven, and we are kept. It's kept for us, and we're kept for it. It also calls us to consider the potential problem. By the end of the first century, Jesus had to write to a church that was struggling. Its people were struggling. Because you say in Revelation 3.17, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment. That thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mayest see. Um, there is a warning. And Jesus gave it because it wasn't that the people said, because I'm rich. That wasn't their problem. The Bible declares that. <laughs> We're never on shaky ground tonight. We don't have to worry, man. Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I say I'm rich? Yes, you can say it. Why? Because the Bible says it. <laughs> uh, the, 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 remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that we, we, might be made rich. Can, can we consider ourselves then rich in the blessings of God? Absolutely. That was not the problem of the church at Laodicea. It was not that they were saying, I'm rich. It's that they were saying, I have need of nothing. And that's what got them. They're so full of the blessings of God, so enjoying the blessings of God. That they forgot how much they needed him. And because of that, while they thought they had everything they needed, they really didn't have anything they needed. Because you see, what we need the most is Jesus. What we need the most is our relationship with him, our fellowship with him. And because their fellowship with him was broken... Jesus could look at him and say, you're wretched and poor and naked. Come to me. He says, buy of me that gold again. They, they needed to come back to Jesus for the true wealth. 
And the thing is, Jesus wasn't going to shun them. He wasn't going to say, well, you bunch of backsliders, I tell you, you didn't need me. Well, you just go ahead. I'm done with you. No. That invitation was there. What was he doing? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What did they left out that had caused them to be so impoverished? They left the Lord out of their lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open to me, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. It's a great passage tonight. I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface of a little bit. But if we can leave out of here just reminded ourselves with the great truths of this passage. That incomprehensible truth. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. And then the other side of it, the rejoicing side. Yet by his grace he has made us rich. He has blessed us. With every spiritual blessing. So that our future is secure. And he also warns us. Don't get so busy enjoying the blessings. That you forget about the blesser. Maybe tonight you need to respond to this message in some way. I don't know what it is. You might need to respond publicly. You may have a decision that you need to make for Christ. I don't know what's on your heart. But you do and God does. And I pray that you tell it to Jesus tonight. We stand together.